Um, look, I would like to just put a spin on the remarks that you've heard today. Uh, and I want to make clear that it's my spin and not the speaker's spin, and we haven't talked about this before. And he may uh, disagree with these remarks, and so I want to give him the opportunity to do that later. But I was struck by his construing so many of these important global issues as national security threats and want to talk about why I think it is crucial to do that. And I hark back to my own personal experiences, which, uh, which are as, as follows in this regard. In 1961, I decided that I would go to Iran to write my PhD thesis for a political science degree at MIT. And uh, I knew that I would have to learn Persian if I wanted to go about doing that. And I applied for and won a grant from the government of the United States of America, which was called the National Defense Foreign Education Language Act because the only way they could get the financing for the study of exotic languages through the Congress was to construe it as uh, an issue of great national security importance. And so uh, we have a long tradition of that in this country, and it is certainly not uh, something that has arisen under this administration or the immediately previous administration in which Mr. Lake served. And I think that uh, Americans seem to respond more powerfully uh, to national security threats than they certainly do to issues of humaneness or you know, poverty in other people because the Lord must have meant it that way or something. And so uh, I think it's important for everyone in this room to consider that because it says a lot about American politics and it is to the young people of this country that I think you have to think about is there a way to change this uh, focus on national security and remember it's the only agency that doesn't seem to have a lot of trouble getting discretionary spending out of the Congress of the United States. I refer, of course, to the Defense Department. Uh, the second comment that I would make is that we heard of five of these national security threats. I agree with each of the five, and Tony mentioned at the beginning of his talk a number of others which he didn't even focus on. And the point of that is that there are a huge number of these national security threats out there. We don't usually think of global warming as a national security threat, or HIV AIDS as a national security threat, et cetera, and they are. And I think it's crucial that we begin to identify these and talk on. Thirdly, I am now doing a project uh, not on poverty, uh, but what I refer to as a project on failed states. And I just want to emphasize what was said about poverty because I say the same thing about uh, the people who live in governments which have failed their own population. And <clears throat> this idea that, uh, you know, the, these are lazy, shiftless people or something is totally wrong, nor are they stupid. Act, the, the reality is they're acting within a structural system uh, which makes it impossible to get rich, at least legitimately and legally. And so lots of people turn to illegal means, uh, but more than that, uh, it is the governments that have failed to set up structures which make legitimate economic activity possible, which make, uh, for example, investments over time possible, which are rapacious, expropriating, corrupt regimes, and therefore create the conditions which generates poverty. And, and just uh, the last thing I would want to uh, say here about, uh, about the remarks that we heard, heard today is, um, is the point that I agree with the speaker that more and more Americans are more and more concerned about these issues. What I worry about is whether the governing class of this country is as concerned about them as many 
how ordinary people are as we are increasingly, and how can we bring that influence or concern to bear on uh, the governors. So well, let me just stop there, and I, I want to ask uh, Tony one question, and only one question, and that is, uh, in the speech which President Bush made to the National Endowment for Democracy uh, the day, yesterday, he um, laid out his priorities in the war on terror and how the United States was going to conduct the war on terror and the relationship of Iraq to the war on terror, et cetera. And he said one thing that he used to justify his commitment to stay in Iraq until victory is achieved, and I don't quite know what that means, and nor did he define it. But um, he, one of the things he used to justify that commitment was that the, when the United States cuts and runs, uh, it only emboldens the terrorists. And he gave two specific examples of that to be nonpartisan. One was 1983 and the Reagan administration's decision to pull the Marines out of Beirut after the bomb went off at the Marine barracks. And the other was 1993 in Mogadishu when the President, had, President of the United States, President Clinton, had said, we are here for the long haul, we're going to make this work, and then we pulled out. And I just wonder if you, you would comment on what you think of that kind of use of those two historical events as a rationale for what we're doing in Iraq. Um, first of all, I, I, I think that the governing class uh, such as it is, uh, is concerned with these issues. I think it's, a, it's cowardice, not ignorance or lack of concern. Right. And so long as they believe that calling on our country to sacrifice uh, for any cause is going to be politically uh, disadvantageous, they're not going to do it. So the optimistic point is that in the end it's up to us uh, and we're going to have to lead them. On Iraq, uh, uh, if I can make a historical note here, because I remember fiercely debating with some of the president's political advisors as to how, I mean, on Somalia, how quickly we should get out of Somalia, uh, and I didn't want us to leave at all. Uh, the reason we then got into a uh, very difficult debate with the Congress, mm -hmm. because the Congress was saying, get out tomorrow, and we went through at least two or three sessions, uh, I remember in the Roosevelt Room and the Cabinet Room, with the congressional leadership saying, no, we got to stay longer. So it's not that Clinton suddenly said we got to get out. Um, it was that that was mm -hmm. a national mood, and we paid a price for that in Rwanda, uh, which I regret deeply. Uh, on Iraq, uh, let me just take, uh, is there, Please. is it right if I speak for three minutes about Iraq? Because I think I don't also. Think, does anybody really want to hear about Iraq? You know, I mean, we don't. Uh, really uh, I, I think we think about it wrong. And let me say first, uh, full disclosure, I thought I was against going in, said so at the time. I have, uh, and I uh, have not changed my mind. Uh, but that's, that's a debating point now. The question is, what do you do uh, once you're there? But I think it was a, a terrible strategic error. Um, and events are bearing that out. Here's, I think, one way to think about it. The first question you should always ask before you send American troops into uh, a foreign conflict, and this is what I learned in working eight years on Vietnam, both there and then working on it, is you ask yourself, what's the exit strategy? And by that I don't mean how do you get out if it's going badly. I mean how do you define success? You were saying, so what does that mean that we've won? Victory. And you define success not in military terms ever, you define it in political terms. What is the political end state that you want to leave there so that you can leave without losing? 
See what I mean? I mean, you can crush them militarily. Our military got a terrible rap in Vietnam for losing a war in Vietnam when they, did, they didn't lose it. They were winning, but it was politically impossible to win in Vietnam, largely because of the force of nationalism. The more we did for the government in Saigon, the more it lost its credentials with a highly nationalistic society, the more we had to do for it. The more it lost its credentials, the more we had to do for it, et cetera. And that was primarily what worried me in uh, Iraq. So the, I think what we need to do now is not just to say, the debate is framed wrong. It's not do we cut and run or not. It is what is the, in my judgment, the minimal political state that we can achieve there that would allow us to draw down. Uh, and by drawing down, I mean initially uh, moving away from combat operations and their reliance on our military. I would be staying there in other ways. Now. What I think is happening on the ground uh, is uh, more complicated than any of us uh, had thought. There are, in effect, I think two wars going on in Iraq, or two conflicts, or three. One is the conflict we read about among the uh, central area, the Kurdish area, the southern area, uh, with more regional loyalties than national loyalties. The second is the nationalistic war that I think some of us anticipated in which Iraqis, no matter how much they hated Saddam Hussein, don't want to be ruled by foreigners. They didn't like it with the British uh, when it was a British colony. They don't like it now. And the longer we're there, the more that nationalism increases uh, and the harder it becomes. But there is the third war, and the most difficult one, and they're all wrapped up in each other, is that this is a region-wide conflict between the, uh, uh, not extreme, but the, the, yeah, the most extreme of the Sunnis uh, uh, and uh, the Shia. And I can tell you with almost certainty that the Sunnis hate the Shias, because it's been going on for centuries, we're not very good at thinking about history, more than they hate us. That's what this is largely about. And if you look at it, there was a piece in Foreign Affairs a few years ago uh, uh, on this that really struck me. If you're a uh, Sunni radical uh, and you're looking at the region, here's what you see. You see, in effect, and this is really weird to, for an American to think about, an alliance between the United States and the Shia. We cooperated more or less with Iran, Shia, uh, in attacking and destroying the uh, Taliban regime in Afghanistan. We're cooperating with Sunnis in uh, Saudi Arabia, but they are apostates, because, largely because of the personal behavior of the royal family. We're cooperating with the Israelis, as I believe we should uh, on almost everything, um, against Sunni Palestinians. In Lebanon, it's more or less us against the Sunnis, and in Iraq, we are, while we talk about democracy, in effect bringing to power a Shia government uh, against what, in what was a more or less Sunni uh, area, which will, over time, repress the Sunnis. So they see this in regional terms. Now, where are you going to fight it? If you're al-Qaeda, or if you're the Sunnis, or if you're a young Sunni who wants to go off and fight Shia, it is a gorgeous opportunity to go to Iraq and seize the banner of nationalism against the United States while you're attacking the Shia. We're almost handing this, this to them in a political sense on a silver platter. So it's no wonder that in Iraq now, as the CIA has said and others are saying, that in effect, 
uh, as you were saying beforehand, Iraq is becoming a new Afghanistan where a lot of terrorists are being trained and where they have the banner of nationalism that they can wave now against their ancient Shia, uh, Shia enemies. So that's what's going on in Iraq. And my concern is that if we wait until there is a perfect victory, a perfect victory is going to be a Shia government in Iraq imposing its will through the, the fighting and loss of American soldiers on a Sunni minority uh, over an extended period of time, and that is a regional disaster and not a worthy goal for the United States. So I've been writing that I hope we can find a state after elections, uh, when there is a government that has not yet shown how repressive it is likely to become, to, yes, continue to give it aid, uh, perhaps help it on its borders, et cetera, but, not, but find that opportunity to draw down our forces, which we badly need in Afghanistan and elsewhere, uh, and uh, not become the Praetorian Guard for a government that we could find uh, we're not too happy with. That's my view. Thank you very much.